This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. You're a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. Zach is off filming the Green Berets for the next two weeks, and I am very happy to have a very well-known Trek FM alumni aboard. He is the host of Saturday Morning Trek, Trek FM's art director and an associate producer for Standard Orbit and good friend Aaron Harvey. Welcome aboard, Aaron. Thank you. Good to see you. Is is he really filming Green Berets? Is, no, is he really filming, a, doing a film? He is actually on a cruise. Ah, He's on a okay. cruise. He's off to Alaska. He just couldn't get far enough away from me. <laughs> well, maybe he's going to find Riker's roots. You know. That could be it. He is on a journey, so to speak. He's to, to the... No, never mind. <laughs> that didn't work. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I think this is the first time I've been on Standard Orbit. We were talking about that before. It's like, I don't... I can't believe... You've been on my show, and I thought that I had been on yours, but I have not. And it all worked out. So I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big deal having you aboard. It really is. It, uh, it means a lot because... We've 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 been crossing paths and trying to communicate and come up with the right dates and you know things just seem to always get crazy. But in this case, on a Sunday, actually Mother's Day, we're well here we are together. Yes, my mom is having Chinese food for lunch. She's very excited because she has a day where she's not working, she's not doing anything with family and everything like that. So she's having her own Mother's Day by herself, and she's very happy about that. <laughs> Sometimes that's the greatest wish, right? Yes. Just she peace sends her kids and away, and she's like, "I am. It's it's time to be be alone." Mm-hmm. Oh, I completely get it. Uh, <laughs> my my wife is out shopping. Perfect. Nice. Uh, we call that retail therapy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so off she goes. So yeah. Well, anyway, we hope all the uh, all the moms out there have had a great day. This yes. this show will drop the day after Mother's Day. So how appropriate. And a um, couple of things to start off before we get into our topic today. I want to welcome. Corey Elrod, uh, to the wonderful cast of associate producers. Uh, thank you for the support of the show and your support of the network. It really means a lot to us. You're collecting all of the associate producers. You're just grabbing them all. Well, we've got seven. It's That's incredible. Great. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it, you know, we're, we're not the highest rated show, but I, I always claim we have the, uh, the most passionate fan base or listener base. So it's, uh, it's, it's very humbling. Welcome aboard, Corey. There we go, Corey. And then secondly, I had the pleasure this this past week of seeking out and finding the creator of Trek FM. On a, <laughs> on a business trip this week to Japan, I had the good fortune of aligning schedules and actually meeting up with Christopher Brian Jones. So he is real. I know he's, a lot of people wondered. He's not a hologram wondered. or a, a, a puppet, maybe? Like, nope, I he's can't. Not, he's can. not really a short little guy behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> No, and he's not like Bigfoot, where a lot of people have heard of him but never seen it. I have actually seen him, <laughs> and uh, it, it worked out well. I was on a, I, I left last Sunday, and I sent a note to him because, you know, obviously Japan's a big place, and Tokyo is arguably the largest city in the world when you put in all its metro area. So I had no idea if if the, we could make this work, and he told me his office was right next to um, Tokyo Tower. When I got to my hotel and I opened up the window. I was looking at Tokyo Tower. <laughs> so um, we were able to meet up. Uh, we went to a nice uh, a little IPA. Uh, had, uh, he had a, a few beers, and we, we got to catch up. And it was, it was a lot of fun meeting him in person. And uh, quite a very interesting person. And, and obviously, he's got a lot going on. But yes, I have touched the creator. And moving on. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Well, that was a handshake. Okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't think there's anything wrong with that. Anyway, no. so it was actually, it was, it was a very That's good... That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah we, was we joked cool. for a long time. It's like, are we sure he's a real person? We've seen blurry images. And, <laughs> and then, you know, you get like, it could be him. Maybe it's an actor that they've hired. You know, it is like... Yeah, walking walking across a field is that him? No, anyway. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I sense a T-shirt coming on. <laughs> I do too. I do too. I, I think you could use the uh, Patterson Gimlin film as a. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, Aaron. In search of Chris Jones. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, from what I understand, this week we're going to be talking about something like a movie that maybe you and I have a mild interest in. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the motion. Semi-interest. Yeah, like Star Trek, the motion picture, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, that's, that's actually correct. an understatement, yes. You and I are both uh, huge connoisseurs of Star Trek, the motion picture, and uh, you can't see this because you're only listening to us, but I actually have uh, concept art for V'ger on the wall. It's uh, It sort of looks like a flying nacelle from, from the refit. It was uh, the earlier versions before they brought in the second... Uh, design company to work on, on the all the visuals. Oh, so this was neat. the yeah. So it was the Robert Abel, uh, Richard Taylor drawn, um, uh, kind of V'ger nacelle sort of ship looking thing. So I I uh, acquired that a few years ago. I'm very excited about that. So it was, it's, oh, that's awesome. I uh, you know it, it's funny because when, when you talk about the motion picture, uh, it's it's a lot like John Denver. People go, what? It's like, yeah, either people really like it or they really hate it. There's nobody I know that just goes, yeah, it's okay. You know, it's kind yeah, of an extreme John film. Denver, let's not talk about that. <laughs> See, you might be on the yeah. other side. See what I mean? It was inflicted on me as a child. See, that's exactly where I'm going. So, yeah, yeah so <laughs> it was a good analogy. Except that's for the Muppets. Okay. It's okay when he was on the Muppet Christmas special. Yes, he was okay on the Christmas special and <laughs> he could sing very well. But at any rate, I, I'm just saying that it's, it, right. it is it is funny, the discussion. It's like cilantro. Have. There we go. That's also another thing. It's like you either like it or you don't. There doesn't seem to be a middle ground. <laughs> Very well said. I guess there's plenty of analogies out there. <laughs> yes. But, you know, it's funny. Because, so so Zach leaves. I pull you on and it's like, you know, we have talked. Zach's favorite movie is um, Star Trek Three. And we've done three or four shows in and around Star Trek Three, whether it's an origin story or, or the plot. And then he did the movies. And um, and only one other time have I really been able to get in this. Now there's nobody in our in our listener base that doesn't know I'm a big fan, and I think a lot of people realize you do. But that's the dangerous thing when you leave the the keys to the car and you walk away. <laughs> so you know, Aaron, you know, as 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 much as we can, and I do know there's I have to admit there are some flaws in this movie, and we'll get to this. But what I'd really like to talk about is we if I if I can work through my bias and, and you can do the same, I think mm-hmm. we could have a very good. Good discussion on this. What, what were the key elements, though, of this movie that made it work for you? What, what was the, like the first time you saw it? What, what drew you in? Okay, well, I saw it when it came out in theaters. I was nine years old, uh, 1979, and it, to me, I call this movie, and this is a weird uh, kind of naming for them, but I call them flu movies, because I first saw 2001 A Space Odyssey when I had a high fever and was laying on the couch and I was sick. Okay. I was like, this is the longest movie about nothing that is so amazing. You know, I, I was a kid. I didn't really get all the nuances that, that Arthur C. Clarke was going for uh, and Kubrick at the same time. Um, and it was it was a movie that was like, it's been on for 28 hours. It has to have been. You know, it just it's time dilates when you watch it. It's really interesting. But for me, it's not a negative thing. You know, people like call it the motionless picture and all these other derogatory terms. Um, and I really like it. It basically is a Hollywood art film. You mm-hmm. don't get a lot of those. Tron was one of those. To a lesser degree, The Black Hole. Um, you know, it's just these films that it isn't necessarily 100% the plot that has to drive it. So for me, I think that was really interesting. And what I really liked about it is I had a sense of scale for the first time of the Enterprise and of the universe. It didn't feel like I was on a set, you know, with seven people 
who would show up occasionally on the bridge and then they'd stop by a cardboard planet. You know, I'm not saying that the effects were like ruined the stories or anything like that, but there is that overall feeling of like, okay, you know, kind of like the joke about Voyager um, one time on Mystery Science Theater. It's like uh, Joel, or no, sorry, uh, Mike was pretending to be Janeway and he's like, I'm responsible for the lives of 200 people on the ship, 198 that we never see. You know, it's sort of like, <laughs> so it, it was that feeling. I'm like, oh, great. This universe is fleshed out. We see Earth for the first time. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. I, you know, we later that year, or not that year, I guess it would have been the, the year after, so it was 1980, went to San Francisco for the first time. And I'm just like, I had to go over the Starfleet Bridge. You know, sure. I, I understood it was the Golden Gate Bridge, but in my mind, it was like it had transposed into this really cool bridge that had a monorail that went across and, you know, ended up on the other side with, with Starfleet Academy, or at least Starfleet Headquarters. Um, so there was just the the visual aspect as you know as a budding graphic designer at age 9 i guess uh you know there was there was that and it was just it, it felt very nasa i know that sounds weird but it's just it's like okay i can see this as a futuristic spaceship i can i, I buy this a lot more than i used to and then when it went to star trek 2 i'm like why is this suddenly a military submarine what happened you know it just it felt like if you went from Star Trek the motion picture into Star Trek the Next Generation, that is a logical visual transition. Right. And you could have put Star Trek 2, 3, and all you know, before, and that would have all like, okay, I can see the bridge. It changed from that into the second one, and then it went to this super clean one, and then it went to the next generation with these touch panels and everything. But it doesn't make any sense to me the way it like suddenly regressed in in uniforms and design and everything between the motion picture and next generation. So I think there were a lot of these elements that worked just as sort of like it was science fiction in its purest form. The design was really cool. Um, and you know, it was great obviously to see the the people that you saw on television back on the big screen doing, doing what they had done before. And it, it really, when you think about it, wasn't that long compared to how much we've waited for Star Trek on television again. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because every point you, you made was, was spot on. I, um, I was a little older than you. I hate to admit that. (laughs) Hey, I'm normally the oldest one on a podcast. So, you know, okay. Well, I I enjoy being the kid now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, enjoy it, Sonny. So yeah, I was uh, I was uh, I was I was a whole four years older than you. I oh, was thir- okay. I was mind. thirteen. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I you know I was I didn't drive to go see it. Um, but anyway, I I um, I I had seen Star Trek, but I wasn't pulled into it. I wasn't a big fan. There was nobody in my family that was watching it. I guess consistently, although I had seen it, and I thought the movie was exactly what you said. It was just tremendous. The the size, the scale, the functionality, everything seems so real. And the music was phenomenal. I, I still feel that that is probably the best score for a movie. Uh, even though I know I'm a big Star Trek fan and I have some biases here, it is a phenomenal uh, score. And uh, and it's been used so much, I know it's been kind of dilutive. But if you saw it like we did, you know, in the theaters and, and, and the way it starts off, I mean, it's... Um, well, you was, had a, a whole, um, what was it, the, uh, what is that called? That piece of music that plays before the, not intermission, but the... You had the Ilias theme playing before no, no, the, before started, but... Yeah, what is that? Well, basically, it was there just was a, a theme playing before yeah. the movie, so you were actually getting music before it even started, which was great, so it really set the mood before the curtains closed and then opened up again, and... Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny, I don't know what that term was, but I do remember just a star field and that, and that beautiful music. And it was very, very soothing. And then, boom! You know, it just, uh, just, just like Goldsmith's theme does. It just jumps right out at you and, and pulls you right in. Um, and a couple of the other things that uh, I thought made this such a good movie. I mean, we we were coming off a lot of science fiction in 1979, and yes, you had Star Wars. That was one thing. Uh, you also had Battlestar Galactica on TV. You also had Buck Rogers and <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, which was phenomenal. I give it that. But you know, I'm just saying, you you kind of went from really big scale to everything in between, and you just went, oh. And mm-hmm. Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I think there was a, an element that a lot of people felt that, oh, okay, because now we know there was a lot more going on in the background with Phase Two and stuff. But at the time, 
Well, okay, so Paramount's jumping on with their franchise, and I just thought they hit it out of the park. And I know a lot of people who saw it just just didn't like it, but I just I think we saw it through a very different lens than they. Um, we looked at uh, not only the the beautiful music and the effects, uh, and seeing old friends that we hadn't seen in a long time, but the ship was so darn functional. It was. Mm-hmm. It still is the only yeah. movie, the only movie where everything has a purpose, a point, and the people that are operating it have assigned responsibilities, and it's just so structured. And, uh, you know, when you're making a movie, a lot of people, like, they don't care about those details. They just want to tell the story, you know, and, and, and move it along. And it doesn't matter if uh, Schmedlaff's standing at this station and then he's over here or whatever. Uh, in this case... You know, from the second they arrive or, or Kirk shows up, it's like there's a chain of command, there's an order to things, there's a functionality to things. It was probably more military in some aspects, but it didn't have that feel, like you said, uh, when they when they shifted to Star Trek II. But it mm-hmm. just had this feel of, I don't know, it just, it just seemed very authentic, which when you go from the TV show to the motion picture, that's a hell of a swing. Yeah. It... Uh... It's almost like the the them getting back together and having you know Shatner as Kirk sort of kind of transposed between real world and into the fictional world. Like, okay, there's the captain again. There's a you know, it's just that it's like, oh, we're all getting back together again. It's all falling into place, and there's sort of this willingness to like, okay, good. Decker's being moved aside. We're we're now back comfortable with this this person, and everybody wants to do their job and they want to be make everyone proud of them and it's I, that, I, I'm not b- being able to kind of put that into one coherent sentence but it's just it was a very authentic sort of reaction it felt like yeah yeah and it's funny now because as time has gone on and and you and I and so many of the of the listeners have read all the stories that gone on pre-production post-production the the you know how are we going to make this ending or whatnot and <laughs> You know, well, pulling they, in. Go ahead. No, I say they they had agreed to a launch date. Basically, mm-hmm. it's sort of the reverse of what's happening with Discovery. It was sort of like we have December seventh, right, and it That's has right. to be made, and because if not, then we lose all this money to these theaters. So no matter what, something was going out December seventh, uh, and when it turned out that you know. There were so many issues, and so they just they just got it done. Where Discovery is sort of like, well, we want to do the best we can, so January, May, whenever, you know, it's sort of right. Like, so it, and it's interesting to see the two sides of that. And I think once it's going to have a very similar kind of background story that mm-hmm. the motion picture did. That was stuff that we didn't know at the time. We didn't have social media. We didn't have a lot of, you know, pop culture itself wasn't such a big thing to to have regular people follow. You wouldn't have people who like cared what how much money the movie made, who was just your an average everyday person. Now you've got people talking about that all the time. So that is yeah, that's how they're. That's you're right. I don't think financials was what defined a successful movie. Yeah. when we were going to the movies, you're right. And today that is it. Yeah, right. So Another I think that's it's there's that aspect to it too, which is really kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know it, it it's an interesting launch date too. I, I know it's Pearl yeah. Harbor, it's all those other mm-hmm. things, but it's uh, it, it was interesting to to launch in the winter time, and it was in theaters for quite a while, and it actually made a lot of money, uh, even though it was, you know, wildly, you know, I would say, I forget what the score was, but I, I think it was sub fifty or right around the fifties in Rotten Tomatoes. If you look today, it wasn't it wasn't quite as high but it was um it was still it opened the door to star trek for me so that's why i probably have a lot of appreciation for it because it pulled me in you know then i started watching the shows and staying more focused and oh, it couldn't uh, have been too horrible since there was several films after and many television shows so it 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 didn't kill the franchise that's for sure it didn't kill it at all and there was a lot of things that came from it especially uh you know i think the enterprise itself one of the things that, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about Gene Roddenberry and, and the way, you know, he manages things and whatever. And, and, and Lord knows um, there was a lot of ruckus making this movie, just like there was a lot of ruckus when he was making The Next Generation. However, um, his 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 uh, ability to ensure that the ship was designed a certain way, that it had this kind of gravitas um, in, in 
you know, the same pride that, that we feel when we see it, because if we're watching the best team in Starfleet or the best team in Star Trek, then it has to have the best vessel and it has to be something that's, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And that's what we got in the motion picture. And it quickly got dismissed after that, I thought. But I see the same thing in TNG. A lot of people have questions about the design of the D or whatever. Mm -hmm. Even I do. However, as soon as they said it was the flagship of the Federation, I said, I can get into this. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is the way it should be. Yeah. And I think that's that's uh, that's how the Enterprise appeared. And, of course, the Enterprise is uh, arguably my, my favorite character. So there it is. <laughs> well, and what uh, this is just a kind of a little side note, but I think it's funny mm -hmm. that people later, you know, it's like, you know, the, the Enterprise should have had seatbelts and blah, blah, blah. Like, if you've seen the motion picture, they have little restraints that move over and actually stop them from flying out of their chairs. That's what, what the director was just like, you know what? This makes sense. We should put this in. And, you know, and the headrests move to, like, to protect the head from from getting, uh, you know, bounced around and stuff. So I think it's, it's, it's interesting that that appeared and then disappeared. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, Aaron. The, the attention to detail in this film... Is, is what I'm getting at. And I think yeah. that's, I think that's probably, it, it helped it and it hurt it because, you know, whether it's the, um, the light flashing on just before the shuttle pod docks, mm -hmm. you know, all these little intricate things that they did to, to try to make it as real as possible. And they focused on that. All and the I guess, signage you know, that Rick Sternbach created, there's a whole yeah. book that has just the, like the transporter logo and the bathroom logo and, you know, just everything that's like exists that you don't they, even see necessarily. Right, but they they just went to to that level of saying this we're going to make this as real as possible, and I think there's there's an appreciation from from my point of view and yours too. I, I'm seeing it where you're just like, wow, they they really focused on that, and then there's other people who say, yeah, but it would have been nice if there was a little bit more action, a little bit faster pace, a little bit more plot, and I do get that, I really do, but there's there's so much to appreciate when you see that level of work, and now. You know, it's a little bit different because you can you can literally program those things. Um, you don't even have to build them, but they they took the time to do that. It, it's sort of along you know in that era of films like Blade Runner, motion picture, uh, Tron in some ways. You know, there's just it's that kind of that last bit of real filmmaking before it you know kind of just transitioned to summer blockbuster slash, you know, then in the 90s when Jurassic Park came along, it was like, oh, everything can be done with CGI now. And then it just sort of from there, it, I'm not saying that movies aren't crafted well now, but they're just, it's different. It's a different type of filmmaking. Yeah, we it, it, it don't is. don't see anymore. Well, it, it even changed, right, from, from Star Trek, the motion picture. And I understand Star Trek too. You know, and I know this is Norm's favorite movie, so I'm I'm not I'm not mm. trashing it. I do love the movie, but they they just went in a you know they 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 focused on a different look. Yep. Um. They they I think they tried to make it somewhat realistic, but they you know the the color yeah, the scheme, no smoking sign and stuff like that. I'm just like really was yeah it... and, a, and a regular exit sign yeah Ooh, yeah the, the, <laughs> no, the, ugh, yeah okay sorry I'm gonna I see, but it's a good point yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good point, and that, that's what I mean. They, they, the they did story it is great, things. but those things like that's what it's funny because I, I feel like some people are like okay, I I'm I'm bogged down by the fact that there's so many details in, in motion picture. I'm the reverse. Like if one of those details jump out, your story can be amazing, and I'm still going to be like, why is there a 20th century exit sign on your like that makes <laughs> zero sense? You know, it's just like. Especially when we've never seen that before, and then we never see it again. You know, it's 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 just, and and no, they're not smoking at that point. They're not idiots. They know that smoking is not a good thing, and that you don't ever see any Starfleet officer smoking. I don't think. Maybe we did. No, but I, not that's not on a holodeck or a part of a you know time travel no, sure. adventure character. So, but it, it's it's one of those things that was just like, it, I can see how. People are polarized by certain things, and it's like that's that's one of those things that just pull me out of a story. I'm like, okay, amazing, but yeah, that song didn't exist at that time period, or something like that. You know, it's just the, those little details that makes me a geek. I guess that's just sort of like, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, in 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 two very different, you know, you're um, graphic designer, and you're you're you live in that world. You're you're yeah. a creative person, and I'm I'm the opposite, right? I'm a I'm not very creative. I'm very kind of 
logical, business-minded numbers, you know, mm-hmm. hitting, you know, it's just two very different people, but we both saw the exact same things, which I think is really cool because it's like, okay, you know, it's not just uh, the military guy right, who's paying attention to the fact that they're very cognizant of who's doing what, what level they're in. Anyway, all I was saying was that, um, you know, that between two of us, two very different backgrounds, but still seeing the same thing, Mm-hmm. Uh, and me being, you know, very military guy where rank is important and, and they had the structure down and da, 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 da. they had it to the Nats ass details. And it was something I could really relate to. You saw the same thing and in, in you're more of the, wow, that is incredible attention to detail. They, they put this and they put this mm-hmm. point and the structure. And that's what I think made it so real. Yeah. And I had a hard time going from the motion picture to the beloved Wrath of Khan because of those things. I, yeah. I, I came around, but the first time I saw the movie, I walked out of it, the Wrath of Khan, going, I guess it was okay. You know, and I, <laughs> after, after I saw it a few more times, I really fell in love with it. But it, it just, because it wasn't the scale, it wasn't, the, uh, it wasn't um, you know, a, uh, a large-scale Hollywood movie. It mm-hmm. was a TV, uh, you know, uh, episode of the, of the week or a two-hour TV special that they, they amped up a little bit. That's interesting because when I remember that I saw it in the same theater that I saw the motion picture in, and I was thinking to myself, like, is it because I was younger when I saw this movie the first time that the whole scale of everything seemed smaller? And I'm realizing that it was probably more of the, the way it was shot and the way it was put together. It just wasn't as expansive and epic. In fact, I think even the, the proportion of the size of the film that it was shot on might have actually been different. Mike Schindler could ask answer that. And he's probably yelling at his podcast, at the, uh, <laughs> his iPhone or whatever he listens to on right now. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, it, for me, it was weird because like Star Trek two, I know I saw it in a theater, but it had no impact on me whatsoever. It was just sort of like, oh, okay. And then Star Trek three was big because at that point I was reading Starlog magazine. Mm-hmm. And as we had talked about before we started recording, that Gene Roddenberry had leaked that, you know, Spock was going to die because that was something he wasn't, you know, fond of. Um, And so when people are in the theater weeping, and I literally was in a theater where somebody was crying, I'm just like, dude, it was like, you know, I thought it was because Leonard Nimoy just didn't want to do this anymore. And it's like, it's like, he's just an actor, doesn't want to do, you know, even as a kid, I was still thinking more, I guess, of the, the, the background and the, the mechanics of the film. I, I'm sure I was real fun to go to see f- movies with uh, <laughs> as a kid because I was, I was the one who was into it like people are now and people didn't enjoy going to films where they had to hear everything that was how it was put together and who did what. And um, So, yeah, I, I, it didn't make the huge impact on me that it seemed to make on a lot of other people. I remember the bug in the ear. Mm-hmm. Like you, that was gross. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, Star, uh, Star Trek Three really made more of an impact after that because it was you know using computer graphics for the whole Genesis effect, and or is that in two? That was in two and three. That yeah, was in two one. and three. Yeah, I guess yeah, that's true. But two, you're right. Star Trek Two was the first time they, they that was the first CGI. Yeah, I think in history, right? Yeah. Well, no, but for a mo- for a movie, I thought anyway. Uh, West Wing. Oh, uh, West Wing. Great. Uh, Westworld, the oh, okay. Im- the images that were on Yul Brenner's vision, uh-huh. that was actually done with a computer. Okay, doesn't mean it was good, but it was it was done with a computer. I it looks you. like it could have been done with something else. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, but the motion picture still, like even when I was older, had stuck with me a lot more than the other two films. Even though I think I knew the other two films better. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's also more dialogue in the other two for the t- things you'd remember. It's like. The, the motion picture, you know, it makes sense that the person who worked on 2001 and Space Odyssey also worked on that. There's a lot of, you know, just the, the, the cinematography is similar than you have, you know, and you do have like long periods of like no dialogue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's that that's what I would say is probably one of its bigger flaws is that, yeah. you know, it, you, you take a Star Trek two, which has a lot of dialogue. It's about the characters. It's about Kirk. It's about mm-hmm. uh, Spock. It's about their relationship. It's all this. This is about really a space adventure. Um, it's about the ship. It's, a, you know, there's there's the subplot there of Kirk and his obsession and all that right. stuff. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that was played out. It wasn't masterfully done. It was well done. 
Um, and, and those, I guess, would be the gaps in the movie. And that's where a lot of people just go, yeah, the, the plot. And it's like, yeah, you could cut that movie down and, you know, you could get there a lot sooner. And, right. and, and it was just, yeah, it was a, it was a visual feast. It wasn't the most, um, like you said, uh, you know, it, it, Tarantino probably was going crazy watching this movie. Right? We don't have people running around quoting things from motion picture, really. I mean. You know what I would quote as a kid, just being a geek, would be things like viewer off and I'd shut the TV off. Yeah. <laughs> Silly things like that. The mechanical aspects of this movie. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing like Screaming Con, which has become the, <laughs> right. you know, a big piece of pop culture. You're absolutely right. There's nothing that comes out of the motion picture that has become a, a, a piece of pop culture. You know, what's interesting. Well, except for yeah, the, the, the transporter, uh, per, the people dying. Um, yeah. You know, that's okay. bits and pieces of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I did like um, that there are scenes that I remember when I was younger, because I mean, I was nine when I saw this. So it's like, yeah, I enjoyed it, but I'm still like got a lot more out of it as an adult. The scenes where you're like, why isn't Spock talking and why aren't they talking to Spock and why it was just weird, you know? And then as an adult, I'm like, it's handled really well. He's gone through the colonar. He's not really himself or the the self that they knew him as. And it's just incredibly awkward, and it's played really well, and to the point where he's just like, "Sit down," you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, "Oh, like," you know, and that's incredibly funny, actually. When you like, so I, I think there are. Had there been a little bit more meat or or something before that, the rest of that could have played out a lot better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. honestly, you know, if we're going to talk about you know things that could be improved, because I'm not saying this is a perfect movie by any means. No way. Um, it could stand to be edited or reshuffled or something. There, there's something that it's like, and that, and no, I'm never going to suggest that they cut the dry dock scene though. I'm sorry. I, that is the enterprise as a character and it finally got its, you know, 15 minutes of fame. Basically. Like I love the flying around mm-hmm. that. If you sh- shorten that, you lose the impact of it. Oh, Absolutely. But, there are other things like inside a V'ger or whatever, like maybe with a better model or a better lit model, you could get a little bit of better sense of scale. And some of that could be reduced a bit. And now we could do the, um, there's a scene that was cut, the memory wall, where mm-hmm. I think, I'm trying to remember exactly how they phrase it, but basically you see Spock is flying by in a spacesuit about like with all these pictures of, I think it's V'ger's memory basically. Um, that could be done today, and that would have been really interesting. And, and you still could have kept that sort of no dialogue, visual uh, feast, but still got more story across that way. Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, the uh, the flying through the clouds, the overflight of yeah. V'ger, yeah, that could have been I never, five until I was older, also knew what V'ger really looked like. There wasn't until, like, the television movie when you see a screen that has, like, an outline. I'm like, oh, that's what it looks like. Okay. Because yeah. it's a cloud, basically, and you fly into it, and suddenly Voyager's inside of it. And you're like, okay, I still have no idea what this looks like. So. <laughs> no, I think the, the director's cut is uh, a pretty good mm-hmm. version. That's they, they, they did whittle that down a bit, and yes. uh, you could see the ship finally. And they even edited it, because in the motion picture, they say it's 82 AU. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So yeah. 82 astronomical units, and astronomical units, what, 93 million miles? Mm-hmm. And it's <laughs> like 82 of them? Okay. That's massive. And then in the director's cut, they'd go two astronomical yeah. units. <laughs> well, and it's, it's interesting because I had the National Geographic Our Universe book growing up as a kid. That was like okay. my – and it's still sitting on the bookshelf in my you know bedroom next to, to – it's like always there. And it's got beautiful illustrations. I think there might actually be a Rick Sternbach illustration in there, which is kind of funny. Um but it had I that's when I was learning what an astronomical unit was. I'm like 82. That doesn't sound right. And it just it just even as like a 10-year-old or 9-year-old or 10-year-old it's like this is weird. Um and so I'm glad that they edited that. You could tell that they just chopped out the 8 8 part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now you understand why it took so damn long to get through that cloud. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if you leave it at 82, it just makes a lot more sense. It it uh, does. Yeah. Yeah, and you wonder how many people it's you coming know. to the solar system. It doesn't really even have to come into the solar system. It's just outside of it, and it's still inside of it. Yep, yeah, and you know, this is we saw the new Klingons for the first time. We did, 
you know, the other thing is too. Not only did you see the new Klingons, which I really liked, and obviously the, it took off. Yeah. Um, the, the ships look great, but even today, you know, and I've had this conversation with Zach a few times. The the effects in in the whole story for Star Trek the Motion Picture, I think it holds up. Mm-hmm. I think it really holds up because they made it was obviously very expensive to do. It was painstakingly detailed. Um, you know, you, you even watching the reboots, which have some incredible special effects, it still doesn't feel as real or authentic to me. I, I don't know yeah. what it is. Maybe because it's tangible. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I don't... It, there's something, you know, obviously it's not a model, what they use today. Right. It's a computer model. I mean, some of it is. They they did a much better job, I think, and beyond of using physical sets. So that was nice to, to get some of the uh, feeling of that. But... The exteriors and everything still are done with computers. And no matter what you do to make it look fantastic, there's still something that's just like, I don't know if it's a, it's your brain telling you. Like, I don't know. If, if you took nine-year-old me from 1979 and showed it to me, would I go, there's something not right about that? It's like it doesn't look quite real? Or yeah. would I be like, wow, that's the most amazing model I've ever seen? You know, I don't I don't know because I've been – in this timeline all the way through to, to today. So I still have that sort of like, well, I know how it's done. I know what it is. Well, that lighting's really interesting. They did a pretty good job with, you know, uh, how the, the, the different uh, textures are getting stuff bounced off of it or something like that. But there's something about a model that your brain just goes, okay, I know this is a physical thing. And yet my brain is being tricked into thinking it's much bigger than it is. So, it feels real. Like yeah. you might be able to take a picture of a spaceship that is sized exactly the same as the Enterprise, and then create a computer model and not be able to tell the difference. But still, if somebody told you one was real and one was not, your brain would just be tricked into liking one better than the other. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah well, it, well, plus you know the, the motion picture was the only one. I was talking to um, Paul Olson, who painted the Enterprise. Yes. No, he, he's a character. <laughs> really, yeah. He really is. But he I, did I, the uh, the uh, pearlescent uh, yeah cover for the pearlescent the, piece and the Aztec Azteking uh, yeah. you know of it and you know and again painstaking detail and yeah. they filmed it against a black screen so that when they lit it up and that's a whole nother thing that they did with mm-hmm. dentist lights and all that stuff I mean painstakingly yep. gorgeous uh, what what they did with the ship and some of the pictures from Start to, the stills of the ship are just amazing, um, you know, with kind of a, a, a blue reflective piece to it. And um, and then after that, when, when ILM took over, you know, they just painted it straight white. And, um, you know, after painting it just, just white against a green screen, because they couldn't, they couldn't film it the same way it was done in the motion picture. It was too expensive or they just a right. different process. It never looked the same. And yeah. um, and that that's a piece of it, too. And it's like that that's what gave it its... Um, I guess it's that that incredible, and I know a lot of the same shots are used in in Star Trek Two that that were used in the motion picture as well, and you can you can see the difference uh, very clearly from what mm-hmm. ILM did and what the team did with uh, with the motion picture. The they just never like captured it. The car that was brand new, and then you know it had the wax job, and then just after a while, the wax just got dull and. It wasn't every time you took it to the car wash, it still just wasn't quite as good as it was originally. Yeah, it has that sort of feel to it a little bit. Yeah, and you know, and it was, I, I you know, one of the things, you know, it was, it was what two, it was three years after the motion picture was made that Star Trek Two came out, and yet, you know, many, many more years were supposed to have passed in between. Yeah, and um, and and that was part of the, I guess, part of the problem for me was, uh, although it lay, it was great for the plot of 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 the Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. It was like ah, now it's you know the ship isn't as big a deal anymore. You know it's ah, now it's <laughs> it's a yeah. training ship or whatever it's supposed to be. Right. So it was just interesting, you know that way. It was yeah. kind of deflating a little bit. <laughs> it, it was funny because I when I worked in Marina del Rey um, in the '90s, and I realized just last year that I used to walk by the place where the ship was assembled and put together in some of the early shots, I guess. Um, like it was down the street and I walked by it every day going to work. And it was like at that point, uh, just a, I think a small design agency or something that was in that building and a Pilates class or one of those, you know, Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, and then I looked at him like, 
I know that address. And I like, typed it into Google Maps and I was just like, oh my gosh, that was literally down the street. Like, so had I had I lived there in the 70s, I would have seen that uh, the ship being moved into the some of those you see like the the big warehouse shots and they're kind of moving the thing around. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was where it was. So kind of interesting. Um, it, it's cool to be in LA when you come across those sort of things. Well, it's you know be, be, before we started recording and you were just talking about all these people that you know and uh, <laughs> that are in the industry. You know, it just well, they're here. That's away. why it's, it's not. It's well, they're here. Cool. Yeah, yeah, they're there. But you actually yeah. know them. You're interacting. You know, writers and things. It's like wow. Yeah. It's a uh, Doug Drexler. You know, oh, I was talking to Doug. It's like oh, really? <laughs> oh, okay. good for you, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've heard of him. <laughs> I've well, seen to be him on fair, TV. Facebook is the real equalizer because I think these people it would be much harder to get an introduction to if you hadn't. I mean, yes, a couple people I did meet in real life. It that was sort of that kind of pushed me into that world but being able to message somebody and have them talk back to you and then create a conversation back and forth you know for all of the horrible things that social media seems to be responsible for that thing is that's kind of amazing like I can't imagine you know being a fan of the motion picture in 1979 and having the access to the kind of people that we have for like say discovery Mm -hmm. like we still you know people can tweet these people and sometimes they respond if they you know it's it, it's a neat equalizer i think that's you know that's that's my little tangent for social media but uh well that's one thing we do well on standard orbit we do <laughs> tangents yes and that's, that's kind of where we go so um let's 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 shift back a little bit so when you watch the director's cut did you feel that they had captured most of the gaps that they had? What, after watching that, what do you feel they captured well, and what still could have been improved a bit? Well, the the big gap that they captured that I I almost don't want to call out because was when it was called out to me, that's all I saw, is when the Enterprise is leaving space dock. Mm-hmm. If you look to the left bottom of the ship where the the engineering hull is yep there is a post that is stuck into the ship and it's basically it's pulled on like a dolly kind of thing and it's it's slowly pulled out of space dock the problem is that post crosses the girders of space dock at the bottom Mm -hmm. so when you see that all you see is a model on a stick being drug out and i I think it must have been like 1994 when somebody pointed that out. And I was just like, I don't like you anymore. I cannot. I was like, for all of these years, I never saw that. And now that's all I see. But they did fix that in the the director's cut. Um, Unfortunately, and this is, you know, people have had this like, why don't we have this on Blu-ray? The the effects and everything that was done were not done in a Blu-ray resolution. And those computer files don't exist anymore. So everything would have to basically be recreated. Yeah, that's too bad. Though was, I do imagine there are people who are in the industry that would probably volunteer their time or something. To, you know, yeah. I don't think they legally can do that because of union rules and all that. But uh, it would be really something if, if down the road that if if everything you know works out that eventually they'll be able to do that. I think that would be great. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know some of the things that they they did well. Uh, I thought the the opening scene with Spock on Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Uh, looked a lot cleaner. They had a little CGI. They got rid of the moon. Yeah, they got rid exist. of the moon, but they gave it scale. And that was yeah. probably the only time in the motion picture where I was like, "Yeah, that's a set." And then everything else felt very, you know, um, very you tangible the weird, and real. Like crystalline legs of the yeah, Vulcan, whatever they were, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the gods. Yeah, so yeah. I, I thought they did a, a nice job there. I think yeah. they, um, you know, they obviously they show you V'ger, they show it. Mm-hmm. Right outside Earth, and it's it's something that now you're yeah, like okay now with the cloud gone, it's still a big ship, but it's it's not crazy. And they also fixed like the windows, the all the things that you see outside the ship, which is like it's black, or the rev- the reverse view from the officers' lounge mm-hmm. that's supposed to have the two, you know, pylons. And I think when it gets certain scenes when it would tilt, they mm-hmm. just didn't have it, so then they would composite in. The, you could see the nacelle in the background or whatever. So it's like the views out the window actually reflected what was out there. Yeah, they took a detailed move and they added a lot more detail, which was yeah. which was pretty cool. And, you know, it just it just seemed to have a little bit more of a pacing to it um, just because they did cut down some of those 
those long journeys. And they were still fairly long, but just, mm-hmm. just, just not as bad, I thought. And, um, you know, and I think that, that Robert Wise had said uh, when, they, when they redid the cut, if he had had more time, it would have been trimmed down. And a lot oh, of the, yeah. there was a, you know, the, the studio spent so much money on the effects. They were like, show them what you pay, what we paid for. Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, yeah. this is, this is, this is supposed to be eye candy. This is supposed to be, you know, the, um, too much candy gives you a stomach ache sometimes. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's where they went overboard. So yeah. as I say, it's, is it, is it a perfect movie? No. Is it a, is it a good movie? I think so. And, and does it, does it, um, does it reflect the way I would have loved to have seen Star Trek go forward a little bit? You know, I, plus, you know, Admiral Kirk's uniform, still the best uniform. Yes. Uh, well, it, interesting. There's two two related to that. Um, uniforms, I think mm-hmm. it was interesting. Robert Wise said one of the reasons he switched to those uniforms is because he felt the original series made them look like they were wearing pajamas. Which is interesting because that is the criticism everybody has of the uniform for the motion picture, <laughs> except for maybe the Admiral's uniform, that they look like pajamas. So. Right. We have wildly different ideas of what pajamas are, apparently, <laughs> Robert Wise and the rest of the world. Right. Um, but uh, – and the other thing, you were saying, you know, that it would be – this is sort of like would you like to have Star Trek have followed forward a little bit more like this? Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like the motion picture might have been the movie that we would have got if we still had Captain Pike. If we had st- stuck with, with – um, Oh, who's the actor's name? My gosh, my brain is just fraught. It's Sunday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey uh, Hunter? Jeffrey Hunter, yes. Yep. If Jeffrey Hunter, you know, obviously, unfortunately, he passed away early in life. Um, but if he had continued to be the captain and we – I kind of felt like we would have had more like Picard Kirk in that time period if we had continued with him. And I feel like the motion picture is actually kind of a, a Captain Pike sort of film. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think you made a, a great analogy at the beginning where you said it if you take the motion picture and you go right into Star Trek the Next Generation, and you went eighty years from that, it it seems to fit very tightly. Mm-hmm. You know, the uniforms seem to, to be more aligned. You know, people don't like them either. Um right. you know, the the, sh- the ship is the, the, the big deal. Um yeah. the captain is more cerebral, thinking things through. Kirk was more like that. I mean a little mm-hmm. bit more action oriented, you know, yeah. he'll always be a little bit more action oriented. But it that, that you're absolutely right. And um yeah, it's it you could see it was evolving into that direction. So yeah, it, even it you the could technology, tie it to they went from like having the wrist mm-hmm. communicators, you know, if you went from wrist to the button. You know, it would be like the flipping, the wrist, and the here. It's like that is a logical progression. Mm-hmm. And then the, the wrist communicators disappeared. They, yeah, yeah. They, they were in one, ep- one, one movie and back to flip phones. Yeah, yeah. Just, just to get that nostalgic feel, which, you yeah. know, in, 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 in the thing that they used in, um, in, in The Wrath of Khan was, was as bigger as a, a, a 1980s wireless phone. I mean, yeah, it, it got huge. I don't under, like, maybe it's better range. I mean, it, it's a ruggedized, more military version or something. Like, I can kind of see that. But yeah, there was, there was that. And if you look in uh, Sick Bay and in uh, Kirk's uh, quarters, their wall screens were also huge compared to the screens that you eventually see later. Like, mm-hmm. they actually are larger, I think, than possibly some of the TNG screens. So yeah. it's it's just, it's it just feels like it was futuristic, more futuristic than a lot of the other movies in many ways. Isn't that funny? Um, so the yeah. technology in the late 70s, it wasn't anywhere near was it where it was when they finished up making the original films in, the, in 1990, 1991. Mm-hmm. But yet, I, I still didn't see anything that, that matched... Um, the background, or even the examination table. I mean, again, yeah. just just incredible detail with that shadow flying over, and you could see mm-hmm. it being scanned, and the way it's being reflected. It was like, man, that's yeah, that's pretty cool. And they had to do that. I, I wouldn't even know how they do it, Aaron, because today, today I could see how they could do it because it's a program or yeah. somebody's designing it. I don't even know how they pulled that together. I don't know if I know off the top of my head. Eventually, when Saturday Morning Trek transitions from the animated series into the later 70s, we're going to end with the motion picture. By then, I'm sure I'll be able to tell you how to reconstruct it in your basement. (laughs) Okay, that would be fun. Yeah, we -hmm. will probably have way too much information in our heads about the show. But um, yeah, no, there's just so many things. And the the, um, big... Uh, rec room or mm-hmm. not? Rec- is it the rec room or yeah. is it just officers? Yeah, no, it's just rec room. The, yeah, and you could see the, and that was another thing that I think they added in in the director's version is that that 
back wall actually is the rim of the saucer. So I, I had I was very recently that I was like, where is this thing actually? And mm-hmm. I went, it's like, oh, if you look at the back side of the ship, it is on the port side. No, sorry, starboard side. Um, so on the right, if you're looking from the back. Mm-hmm. Um uh to the kind of like a fourth of the way between the the impulse engines and the the other the middle part of the um uh the saucer. I'm just like Oh, that's really cool. And then I don't think I ever noticed that like the windows there were different layout than the windows on the other side. So, and that would have been a really interesting, like if you're going to do a director's director's cut, or if you wanted to like add it, like maybe go into the rec room from the outside. Cause that would really give you a scale at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. No, that's, I, I didn't know that's where it was located. I, for some reason, I thought it was kind of somewhere in center middle of the saucer yeah. section. But So, no, I will, I'll post a picture in the Babel conference for the, the listeners to uh, check out. Okay. So, it's, um, it's, so what, do you, what are your final thoughts on Star Trek, the motion picture? Yeah, I didn't like it. No. <laughs> uh, okay, that's no, all I, the time we have. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I... It's, you know, obviously it has flaws. It's not necessarily the movie I pick up if I want to like, okay, what's a, something I want to listen to that has a story or, or something that's, you know, it, because I'm not going to get necessarily anything in the, in the vein of the motion picture, or sorry, in the vein of, you know, Star Trek four or even first contact or something like that. You don't get the, mm-hmm. like the cool little, you know, fun story elements or the character moments necessarily. But when I want to be inspired about humanity, about movie making, about Star Trek in general, it's like, I will put that in and just absorb it. I, I, I can't say enough good things about it. And I'm really happy that that sort of maligned sort of reaction that fans who have it is sort of reversing. I've noticed this in the last probably three to five years that there are a lot more people talking about it in a positive light than there used to be. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's funny how those rediscovered. I, I believe that's correct. Yeah. Things, things, uh, when, when people go back and they, they explore, I think that, uh, I've seen, I've, I've heard that on different podcasts, you know, we're, we're also dealing with uh, a lot of people that, you know, grew up with, with TNG in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the, um, the movie elements there, they are kind of rediscovering, and, and having fun with, and it, it's like a, they just kind of progressively go back, and you hear the same thing. Oh, I saw the motion; it was boring, you know. That, that, yeah. that. but then they, they go back and they, they can kind of see the, um, I think what you pointed out well, the continuity between mm-hmm. between the two franchises. And you're right; it's it's kind of it's kind of come full circle, I guess. More more appreciated, like a 2001, which is what they were going for. It's it's funny. I um I pop that in when I really just feel like I need to escape, and that's mm-hmm. that's that's my like go to film for that. It's yeah. uh. If if things are just crazy or whatever, and I just need to get my mind off things, that's what I'll put on because I can really get enveloped into this movie. I don't know why it pulls me in still to this day. It does. The other ones, you know, it, they're fun rides. They're great movies. They're you know, there there isn't a Star Trek movie I won't watch. There are some that are difficult to watch, but I'll still watch yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. You know that type of thing. But that's that's um, you know that's kind of where 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 I go um, constantly, even. Well, I'm as old as Star Trek being 50, so it's still, <laughs> it's still there, you know. Yeah, I'm 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 47 this year, so I'm having my my Star Trek themed party. Not that I need an excuse for that, but you know, since 47 is the number that is pops up everywhere in Star Trek, or I'm, modern I'm, Star Trek at least. So I'm assuming Larry Nemechek will be there. Probably, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll we'll uh, well, I'm I'll post pictures, and we're doing a sort of a tiki. Uh, Ryza slash Neelix holodeck program sort of kind of theme. So we're going to have like Hawaiian style food and stuff like that. And wow, very out nice. in the backyard, just like just very casual. So that's right. Oh, okay. Well, so we're in the LA area. Wait, no, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do no, that. No, no. Just quickly say, hey, if you're in Hawaii, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're on Ryza, stop in. Uh, yeah. Oh, and when one last point about uh, sure. kind of people rediscovering the motion picture. I've noticed that people who are younger are actually liking it more than the people who are rediscovering it that are more our age. There is something about like 
you, people have just had that embedded in their head for so long that it's like, oh, this is, you know, it, it's it's slow, it's boring, I don't want to see it. That they, It's almost like, oh, I've really never seen the motion picture, but I've seen, you know, Star Trek Beyond or what, and they'll go back and like, oh, this is really interesting. So, you know, like my co-host on Saturday Morning Trek, Adam Drozen, it's like, mm-hmm. he loves that picture, or that, I'm sorry, he loves that movie, and my first reaction was like, really? You know, because I was like, you, I always thought in my head that, you know, younger people would be like, oh, this is, but it's not. I've, I've found exactly the opposite. Wow. That, that's surprising yeah. to me. One, I didn't know that. And, and two, you know, maybe it's being as old as I am and the way I look at things, you know, if it's, if it isn't just um, overwhelming with, you know, like a Marvel movie or, or something along right. those lines where your head is spinning with the level of effects and things like that, that they put in it, you know, I watched Doctor Strange, fine movie, but man, I needed an aspirin, right? <laughs> and that's, that's what I'm thinking. People need that constant movement, constant, you know. Maybe um, that's why they like it. It's, yeah, it's it refreshing. Be. It's different. Yeah, it slows things down, and, and you can you can take a few minutes to appreciate what's, well, what's even, around Even the it. people who worked on Beyond are like, could we slow down and look at our work for four seconds? You know, it's just like there was a lot of, you know, because when the people don't hate 2001, they might, you know, some people find that slow as well. But it's it, I think it's a really... It's a good analog that they're they're very similar in that way. So, well, the the big difference between I think the motion picture and two thousand and one is uh, motion picture ends and you know exactly what happened. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it does make sense. It does make sense. You know, it might have taken us a long time to get there. Yeah. In two thousand and one, there are still people, um, you know, probably putting I don't know, hypotheses together and trying to figure out where. It went. And and for you young folks out there, 2001 is... Never mind, I don't want to get yeah. there. <laughs> well, had the movie, the first Star Trek movie that they wanted to make, which was The God Thing, or the mm. second one, Planet of the Titans, I think we would have been left with the same sort of, what the hell just happened? So <laughs> I, I think we, we probably lucked out getting the motion picture, at least for, for sense. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a huge fan, and I'm, I'm thank you so much for the opportunity to... Uh, come on and just sort of geek out over it, even if there wasn't any kind of linear flow to how our discussion went. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it's, you know what? These, these things these things are fun, and it gave me an opportunity to um, to get together with somebody I really enjoy speaking with in the first place on a topic that I enjoy speaking about. And, you know, and, and that'll be that. And I promise all the listeners we will move on to something more fun and exciting and fast-paced or whatever it is that... Uh, that 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 drive us with our with our crazy lists and our different things that we've been putting together and and you know those those seems to be working well. A so three part retrospective on and the children shall lead. Oh my God, no! <laughs> <laughs> then you'll be begging for the motion picture. Hey, you know we we did we, we did a uh, a standard orbit and a and a Saturday morning trek in with uh, alternative factor. Yes. Wow. Wow. That, that you know who would have <laughs> thought, right? <laughs> who would have ever thought? But we did, and uh, well, just and talk about boldly for, for going. Future, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a future for uh, a future, uh, a spoiler for future Saturday morning trek. We've talked about and when our schedules all align of doing a um, mirror universe uh, animated series. So we're going to have uh, you and Zach on to to talk about uh, what how that might play out, what that would be like, especially for a a Saturday morning audience that would have children. So we have to kind of balance that you know level of horrible terrifying you know evil mirror universe people with friendly saturday morning kids show that is going to be fun to construct of course (laughs) if we're if we're looking at a 1970s audience that was once one thing but today i don't know i don't think i think i think it's almost um you can go anywhere you want (laughs) in some ways yeah in some ways no because if you look at the you know if you watch the there's a plug for Anybody who wants to jump over and listen to some of the animated series uh, conversations we've had on Saturday Morning Trek, there are some pretty adult, you know, topics and and brought up and that yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of look like, wow, how, you know, how is this? They, they never wrote it to be a kid's show. That was part of it. They wrote it to be sort of an all ages, like anyone can enjoy this. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I wasn't articulating it well. You're absolutely right. And that's... That's that's what makes the animated series uh, very interesting uh, to, to go through is because it's like... I'm looking at it saying, geez, I obviously I, I don't remember watching it when, when I was a kid. I'm sure I did, but I was really little then, you know, mm-hmm. even then I, I was young once. And, um, 
And, and then I guess where I was going was if you if you see a lot of the anime or the things that that I've been noticing, um, right? It's like man, it's like there's there's no filters here. Or I think there's more gore now and more. Yeah, it's more, more suggestive. That, so as if, opposed to like story wise, moralistically, there's there's a difference. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that uh, you could probably push it a little bit further, which yeah. I think is going to make this a, a very interesting discussion. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Star Trek The Motion Picture isn't the only thing we are discussing this week on Trek FM. Here is what else is playing on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Saturday Morning Trek. He's like the little kid from the very last episode of St. Elsewhere. Boba Fett and all this takes place in the head of Chewbacca's son. The whole panoply of Star Wars. It all takes place in Lumpy's head. All of Star Wars. I think that we may have cracked the the code of Star Wars altogether. I think we did. Lumpy created Boba Fett. Warp 5. They never really do say what sport it is, right? We just assume it's baseball because he said doubleheader. Well, he went to a baseball game with her, didn't he? said baseball. I think game, he I said think. baseball in Dolestown earlier. So. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. Well, sorry, writers. You messed that one up then. This is. I don't even want to do this commentary anymore. Let's switch it to something <laughs> else. Melodic Treks. Two things to say about that. Uh, the first is that Horner was really good at writing sustained cues. Always has been. Uh, you know, going back to some of his early stuff like Star Trek II, where you have the battle in the Mutara Nebula, you know, that's that, that's that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. The 602 Club. And it's not subtle, but this is what happens. Ego is what happens when you only find meaning in yourself and you are truly all that matters. And introducing our newest show, Primitive Culture, a look at history and culture through Star Trek. The key thing with Jatrellis, all of these elements are exactly the same thing as the events in real life. You know, the Metron Cascade is the bomb. Rhinax is Nagasaki or Hiroshima. You know, the poisoning is analogous to radiation poisoning and all these different things. And the the parallels are enormously overt with Jatrell straight away. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows, Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for our listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. Patreon is is Trek.fm's way of, of building funds so that we can support all the podcasts that we broadcast from Trek FM. And there are many, many different shows out there, a huge variety. You name it, if it's Star Trek related, we've got it. And the what it, what it takes to run the network, to fund it, to, to buy equipment, to, 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 to purchase the bandwidth, the whole thing is very pricey. And yet we do this all commercial free. So we really uh, appreciate you going on to Patreon. That's P-A-T reon.com slash trekfm and donating whatever you can afford and no denomination is too much or too little. We'll take it. If you donate $15, you're eligible to participate on Trek FM's Patrons Roundtable, which gets you into podcasting. And then if you donate $25 or more, you could be an associate producer on this show of your choice. So that leads to a very nice spot for us. I'd like to thank, as always, all of our associate producers for Standard Orbit. We have Renee Roberts, Richard Marquez, some guy named Aaron Harvey. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't like him. He's an odd guy. Yeah, he just, yeah. Yeah, him. Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Norman Lau, and Corey Elrod. Zach and I are both thrilled to have this wonderful group of people supporting Standard Orbit, and we appreciate you. So, Aaron, where can we find you on the interwebs? You can find me on pretty much anything that's but social media like Twitter or Dribble, which is a, a design uh, community, uh, which the user with the username Geek Filter, and I'm also the network's art director, so you can see my work uh, off and on, on on the Babel Conference, which is our Facebook users group. And I am the host of Saturday Morning Trek. It's our and I'm the host of Saturday Morning Trek, which is our network's animated series and all things Trek in the 1970s podcast. So. You will eventually hear a lot more about the motion picture from us, and uh, 
But right now we are going to be reviewing uh, Eye of the Beholder. Excellent. Which is not the episode from TNG. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll say one thing, Aaron. Saturday Morning Trek is probably the most technically advanced, entertaining show I've I've ever listened to for a podcast. What you're able to pull in from that era um, and the way things, the way you transition from a, a commercial to you know, uh, 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 an interview that was played or, or whatnot. And it, it just, it really does feel like you're back in the wood panel den with uh, lava lamps and, and beads in the doorways. But uh, it's, it is it is a great show and it's a lot of fun. If you haven't checked it out, folks, I highly recommend it. Not just because he's here on the screen and I'm looking at him, but because it with is... With all the bags under my eyes from producing the show. <laughs> it takes an awful lot of work to put that it show. It's, it's like, uh, it, it, it is so... it. it I'll just say this: Check it out. You won't regret it. You'll 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 really enjoy it. Uh, you'll have a lot of laughs, but you'll also be brought back to to those times um, back in the '70s and '80s. And I know you have some things that even go back into the '90s. So it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun to listen to. I can't recommend it highly enough. Thank you. Uh, oh, my pleasure. And so, so for me, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I, I'm there whenever I can get on, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Boston SCPO. And I just want to say thank you, everyone, for listening. And join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>